Action Park Media. All right, this is going to be compulsory listening for anyone who has a teenager in their life or about to. Uh, I speak to an amazing school counselor who I know personally very well. Her name is Laura, and she's been working with teenagers very closely during and post-pandemic. Not only that, she's, I mean, well-equipped to deal with teenagers anyway, but specifically um, as it pertains to pandemic as well and kind of the social implications that 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 has had on teenagers and how we can be better about having a dialogue with them, getting them to open up, and how we can speak to them to um, ensure that they know that we are a safe ally for them as well. So I hope you enjoy this. I did. I learned a lot. This is Pretty Depressed with Laura. She is like sunshine and a human. <laughs> and now she has taken on this amazing endeavor of, of being a middle school counselor. I can think of no one better for the job. She is so disarming. She's approachable. She is perfection. I will stop talking about her and she can talk about herself. <laughs> Welcome, Laura. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you're already going to make me cry to start. So that's that's a good start. That is, what a great place to start. I, I guess like my first thing is like from cheerleading coaching into counseling, it feels like a bit of a pivot, but then I guess not because you're dealing with people of similar age. Yeah. I guess, how did that happen? Because most people wouldn't spend their life hanging out with teenagers. <laughs> it's true we we joke in middle like if you work in a middle school wherever you are like it's it's a very unique place to choose to work so like you're a unique kind of person I think in a lot of different ways like if you were at a middle school it's because you love to be there and because you love those kids um so I and I it's funny you say that it's kind of a pivot from coaching because to me it's really not (laughs) like I like I kind of back up. So I did a lot of work kind of in high school and then in college of like being a camp counselor and, um, working on a teen hotline, which was like hugely pivotal to making me a counselor essentially, um, doing all this work. And so when I moved to New Zealand after college, I was like, I don't want to work with kids at all. Like I just want to do something different. And I got an amazing job at a travel company, which was awesome. And then I was like, Oh, maybe I could like get into cheer or coaching again or something. And then Lo and behold, then I become a coach and I'm like, you're like five times a week. <laughs> it's like totally not what I intended to do, but then I like couldn't stay away. So I went back in it. Um, and so in some ways it's just, yeah, it's just working with kids again. So um, as much as I loved my life in New Zealand and doing all that, when it was time to come home, because it was, they were going to kick me out of the country eventually. Right. I was trying to figure out, like, I knew I was going to go to grad school. I always knew that I studied psychology for my undergrad. I knew I wanted to do counseling, but I wasn't sure in what avenue. And so the more I kind of thought about it, the more I liked the idea of like a school setting and working with other people, like not therapy is awesome. And I might get my mental health license one day and be like a one-on-one therapist, but I liked just like, you've got you know, just school stuff. You've got school spirit. You've got, you know, tons of different people that you're working with. And I really loved that idea. And so then when I got home, I took a year and applied to schools and um, ended up getting my master's in counseling or my master's in education in school counseling. It's like the longest title ever. But um, so there was a lot of things that kind of got me there. And now I coach cheer at the high school as well. So like I'm still coaching. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I get like middle school and high schoolers. And For anyone who's watching Cheer on Netflix, you're you you probably have a better idea now why like none of us can really fully quit it. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's such a big part. Um, just to clarify, because we don't probably call it middle school. What ages are you speaking of? Totally. Um, so we middle school for us is like 11 to 14, basically. So intermediate, I think, like yeah. school for you guys. Um, cool. right in that middle of like, I've left kind of like my elementary years and moving into being a teenager. Oh gosh, what the heck do I do? <laughs> and the growth that you see between like the sixth graders, so the youngest and the eighth graders, you know, before they're going off to high school is huge. And that's something that I love about it because you just see like this kid could not for the life of them, keep themselves organized, turn anything in on time, like just could not. And, you know, by the time they're in eighth grade, they've like got it, you know? So it's fun. I really enjoy it. My niece is right in this age group, which is another reason why I wanted to speak to you today, just because it was like <laughs> overnight when she turned 13, it was like, oh, now she sleeps in and like, you know, uh-huh. It can be a switch sometimes. And especially I think after the pandemic and all the stuff that's happened, like it is kids are like feeling things in different ways in particular. And so you tack that on just like adolescence. Oh, we're in for a ride. And I, and I also don't want to speak about it to like an adult looking at a teenager, because I think in going through this season with my niece as well, Sophie, who's amazing, I think too, like we put our judgment and our lessons on what we remember, whether we're romanticizing or catastrophizing what our chapter of life looked like, uh, especially as women. So I guess today, like one of my main goals is like, what are, what are these teens and preteens coming to you with the most? And how do we, people listening to this, like better listen and better speak to that chapter because I've noticed even in my own household, we're kind of treating, you know, my niece as an adult and putting those responsibilities and expectations. And also, also then some, and sometimes treating her like a, like, I just feel like it's something I can do better at um, and trying to remove my age and experience from it. So I guess, yeah, first and foremost, what, what do you see most as the counselor from 11 to 14 year olds? What kind of problems are people coming to you with? Um, I know there'll be specifics, but maybe more in general terms, like what is the most concerning things for 11 to 14 year olds? So I feel like I just have to put context to that answer just in like where I counsel, right? Because I can't speak for the whole population. Like I work in a pretty affluent district about 30 minutes outside of Seattle. So we're in the suburbs, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, predominantly white, although definitely growing in diversity. So like with that, within that context, you know, there's a lot of privilege, um, there's a lot of wealth. Um, And so I would say even before the pandemic, you know, like anxiety and depression were like the biggest things that we were seeing with kids, right? Um, especially anxiety part was kind of going through the roof. And then of course that lead can lead often to depression and then you can get into self-harm and the suicide ideation, like kind of all of that stuff goes together. Now tack that on after the couple of years that we've had. And that's just, I mean, that's still just as high and growing. Um, so, so there's a lot of that. Um, you know, I think, but if you remove all that, I guess going back, like you are in like a social minefield when it comes to (laughs) being, you know, those ages. Um, And so a lot of the things that have come up this year, aside from the anxiety and stuff is just social dynamics, like social friendships. Like, how do I 
I'm mad at my friend. They're doing something that makes me uncomfortable or makes me upset, but I haven't had the practice socially in the past two years to learn how to talk to them, to learn how to say hard things, to learn how to create my own boundaries, even if it might hurt somebody's feelings. And so I think that is something that I've seen more in the past few months since we started school. Um, I mean, it's always there, but I think it's coming up more and more um, because kids haven't had to be social <laughs> in a long time. So it's been hard. I mean, these are probably lessons that I'm like, yeah, yeah, those are <laughs> ringing true to me as well. <laughs> as, as a counselor beyond listening, what is kind of some tools that you would offer for because hard conversations are always hard conversations mm-hmm. you don't grow out of that and as humans we tend to avoid them so how do you encourage them to speak up or voice voice that and what does that framework look like yeah I, the simplest answer to that would have, and the easiest one to go to I think for anybody no matter who you are um, and if you've been in any sort of therapy I'm sure this will sound familiar but like an I statement right? And having, having kids kind of practice, like, so what is it that you want? What is it that's happening? That's not working for you. And then how can you share that? Right. And so when you say an I statement of, I feel uncomfortable when you're making a joke about your parents or my parents, or, you know, something totally random, um, you know, then that's putting, nobody can argue with your feelings or they can try, but it's not very valid <laughs> really. Yeah. But, Cause that's how I feel. So by saying, you know, I'm feeling upset because you told my secret to this person and now it's all over the, you know, everybody's messages and stuff. Like, I would really like you to stop or I'd like to talk to you about that. Like, at least even if the other person isn't willing or able to have that conversation, at least they have stated for themselves. They kind of stuck up for themselves. Like I have my piece. It might not be resolved, but at least I've said something that was important to me. And so even just gaining that confidence of, I had something I could say, I did it. Now I still need to figure out the rest, but I, it's just kind of those baby steps and having those conversations. And in terms of um, parents, peers, aunties, friends of people in that age group, I have noticed even in our own household, a little bit of um, flippantness on friendship drama because we perhaps as adults either don't experience it as much or we've lived enough life to to go like, well, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So how do we speak to or ask those questions to try and encourage someone of that age group to open up to us without, I mean, with trying to put that aside and also not patronized by being like, you'll be out of this, you know, what is the, what is some verbiage that we can use to make them feel like they can share? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it is so hard. I became a parent a few years ago to an awesome now seven-year-old. And I notice myself doing that of like, I know all the things and I'm like, no, 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 you're going to be fine. Like, let's just move, you know, like, so it is, which is essentially dismissing someone's (laughs) feelings. Yeah, exactly. Completely. And it is so hard not to put your own, whoever you are to put your own experience on that. Um, it's a really, really good question. I think the active listening skills, like the basics of, so what I'm hearing you say is, or it sounds like she really hurt your feelings when she did that. Like, how did you respond? Like, what did you do? What do you feel like you need in this situation? And really, really biting your tongue on like the advice part. (laughs) 
Like it's really humans love to give advice. (laughs) But and even asking them too, like after the conversation, if they're willing to open up, and maybe you kind of start to answer those questions. I don't know. I don't know. But the more you ask them, the more that they'll know that, oh no, they really want to listen to what I have to say, or hopefully they do. Then you ask the question of how can I support you with this? Or is there any way that I can help you? Would you like to hear some advice or something that similar happened to me? Would that be helpful? Because even just asking that question kind of makes them go, they, then they can decide. They don't have to listen to a lecture that you're giving them of like, well, that's what, like this happened to me and da, 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 right? Then they can choose of, oh, that would be helpful for me or not. Or maybe they'll come ask you later. Hey, tell me about that. So that, that would be where I would start. Um, but it's hard. It's really, really hard to bite your tongue <laughs> So hot. I just noticed like in my, I'm like, well, I had that. Yeah. And it's like, then it becomes about self and it's like, it's not what she wants. <laughs> um, as, as someone who I'm sure deals with um, a, a range of, not to say not everyone that comes to you is not serious, but I'm sure there are definitely people in your school or your situation that aren't coming to you. And perhaps those are the situations that are more concerning as an observer, what, what is something that we can look out for in teenage behavior that you've been taught and through your, um, edu- your education, higher education, that we should be looking out for in teen behavior that is beyond just teen angst? Yeah. So that leads me to think about um, those depressions or those depressions, those symptoms of depression. Um, and then, of course, with anxiety, too, um, I would say you know, it's, it can be really hard because this is very big, but any changes that you see overall, when it comes to, um, like hygiene, for example, how much they're eating or not eating, and these can go in swings. Like they totally stop taking care of themselves or they go to extreme. Um, so those are kind of major signs, but some of the other ones are things like withdrawal. So they're not participating in the things that they used to love, you know, they were captain of their soccer team. Now they're not going to practice or dragging their feet to practice, things like that. Um, you know, withdrawal from friends, from social situations. Um, I'm trying to think of what else, like the changes are the the biggest things. And then of course, you know, the more serious things of like self-harm, you know, obviously that's been an indication that regardless of the, they're thinking of suicide or not, it doesn't always go hand in hand. Um, but if they're harming their body because of how much pain they're in emotionally, like that's a problem. Like we need to, we kind of need to figure that out. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I usually go through this in a lesson. I can bam them off, but oh, yeah, I mean, the, the hygiene one is interesting. Cause I would, mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily um, pin teenagers as being super hygienic, but you're more speaking <laughs> about like, say they usually were, and now they're taking a swing the other way. That would be kind of a flag yes. that you would. Okay. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, the withdrawal tends to be kind of one of the biggest signs. Um, and of course, things like academics are going down. Um, potentially, they're not able to focus or stay engaged in things and in conversations, things like that. Um, those would be some of the biggest signs. And then, of course, with anxiety, um, you know, some of the big things like panic attacks, um, you know, we've seen some more, I think, again, for lots of humans, not just kids, but um, a lot of anxiety around school, going to school, social anxiety, things like that. So the big butterflies in the stomach, you know, getting sweaty, like not 
able to like kind of get in tunnel vision, not able to really be present. Um, some of that stuff has been, has been big too, and things to look out for. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious as someone who, you know, is only recently in the past few years been going through therapy. I feel like I haven't developed enough brain, but in speaking with my niece, it feels like their generation coming up is a little bit more, and this is just, you can speak to this better than I can, a little bit more finger on the pulse with their emotional well-being than I ever was. Like, I even feel like going to therapy now in my group of friends is a little bit like, oh, weird, where it seems like maybe through TikTok, you know, not to like praise the internet, but it does feel like they have a little bit better verbiage. Would you agree with that? Or Yes, I would. I think so. Um, I have some really, really self-aware kids that I'm working with that I'm like, are you sure you're not 25? Cause I, like how you're vocalizing that and your self-awareness is incredible. Um, so I, I think so. And I think there has been such a shift and, and through the pandemic, there was such like take care of your mental health. You know, I think it was just really present. And so the more that we're talking about it, and I know at least in our area, um, you know, there's a big push for social emotional learning. So it's happening more in the schools, you know, there's more lessons, there's more things along those lines. Like we talk about it, like we do depression and, um, uh, suicide prevention lessons in all of our health classes, sixth through eighth grade every year. And I tell the, I tell the eighth graders, like, by the time you're here, you should be able to give this presentation and be almost rolling your eyes at me because you know it, like that is, that is our goal so that you can see those signs and you can help somebody, right? Yourself or somebody, you know, and I tell them too, like, I guarantee you, you are going to know somebody that a, is either, you know, dealing with depression or is thinking about suicide at some point in your life. Like, there's just no way that you're not going to have that experience. So here's ways that you can like cope with that and help somebody kind of through it. Um, so, yeah. But besides talk therapy, what, what is, is there any alternative, um, you know, obviously if it's at a point that someone is, you know, in therapy and needs medication or whatever, then of course that's a priority, but in terms of alternative routes or, or additional routes to pr professional help, what would be something that you, um, recommend that, you know, parents help or do for their yeah kids or. Really their kids. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not a therapist, so I want to be really cautious about how I say this. Um, I think as a parent, you know, your kid the best. And so if you feel like there is something major going on, like, please go get help, like talk to their school, talk to like your pediatrician, your doctor, like, like go get them support. It doesn't mean they have to go on medication or anything like that. Like, just don't feel like you have to do it alone. That's, that's step one. Um, but if you're just kind of, your kids are struggling with some things, like the, the coping skills that have been <laughs> talked about and talked about, you know, like those really are important. So like practicing mindfulness, which is like super hard with a middle schooler. <laughs> it's like, okay, so now we're going to sit and breathe, but, um, you know, but like showing them the apps that they can use like on their phone, cause they're on it all the time. Like showing them those things. There's like really cool coloring apps that you can do. Um, we have coloring like the adult coloring books out in our office and like finding what is a release for them, whether it's sports that hopefully aren't high pressure in that regard or, um, doing something with their hands or what is it that helps them kind of chill out and relax is going to be the biggest piece because those are the skills that they need going forward as an adult to be able to manage stress. 
So teaching them now and helping them find that is, is going to be key. And I have the feeling most kids don't want to have that conversation with their parents. <laughs> like, well, that's kind of it, right? It's like the people who are worried about you the most are sometimes the hottest to speak to. I did a podcast before I spoke to anyone in my family about my depression, just because it's like showing the people you care, your yuck is a little bit, feels way more intimate than sharing with strangers. <laughs> you know, like it, it feels, you kind of have to really deal with it if you're doing that. Yeah. And I would say to that too, another thing that kind of makes me think of, you know, parents helping kids, because this is something we do of like, well, who's an adult in your life that you trust that you can talk to? Sometimes it's the parents, but sometimes it's their youth pastor. It's their soccer coach. It's their auntie. You know, it could be anybody, but helping them make those connections of who can you call if you're not okay, can be life-saving in a lot of ways sometimes. And so kind of making those connections strong is going to be important too. And the parents saying to the kids, I am okay with it. If you reach out to this person, like my feelings are not going to be hurt. If you are going to this person to get help, I just want you to have somebody you can talk to. And that can be hard for some parents too. I I actually imagine it would be because there's probably a pain attached to that too. Mm -hmm. I never really thought about it that way. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's mom. But yeah, it's like sometimes it's, it's yeah. Uh, something interesting that, that came up this year in our family too is that um, sometimes I was told that the you also sometimes show your grossest self to the people that you love because you know that they'll stick around. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, perhaps that means showing your trauma or showing your short fuse or show, you know, um, and I imagine that's probably quite difficult for parents as well, especially of children of these age group who are going through hormone, which may not be attached to depression or anxiety, but hormonal shifts as well and aggression and lashing out and the I hate yous and that kind of stuff. Um, do you have any advice for parents or anyone on that side of it who are simply just dealing with, you know, preteens into teens? Yeah, it's just not. You are, you're going to go through it soon. I am. I, you it's know, funny. I think about it. It really... <laughs> It really changes. How will the counselor deal with a teenager? We'll see. I know. And I used to tell my friends, give them to me when they're teenagers. I got it. And now I'm like, oh, I don't know that I do. Um, But giving yourself grace, I think, first of all, is the biggest thing. Like, you will most likely feel like everything you do is wrong. Like, because of every, every response is negative that you're getting, Right. Um, so kind of the same advice is for yourself, like, who are your people? Who can you go to for support? Like who is going to help you through it? Is it your partner? Is it your sister? Is it your parents? Like who is going to support you? Because you're going to need to have that outlet to of like, I want to throttle them. They are driving me insane. Like how could they speak to me that way? Do they know how long I went through labor? Like, you know, like, like well, then it becomes the list, right? The list right, of all, it all things comes that I do up, for and you. So, and, yeah. You've got to have somebody that you can kind of talk about that with, you know, and, and it's just going to be rocky. I think sharing those moments of like connection and downtime, like when you have them and just kind of savoring them and hopefully, you know, I'm I'm making it sound like doomsday for everybody. I just want to acknowledge that it's just really hard. Um, There are going to be good moments and there the, it is like developmental, like how they are pushing out, how they are pushing back, like how they are like pulling away. 
you know, like that is what they're supposed to be doing. That is an important part of development. And so trying to kind of keep that in the back of your head too. Um, I just, everybody's experience is going to be different though, too. Um, and the more that, you know, even with your littles, you can start to have those conversations where you know that like your kids know that you're listening and you're not trying to judge or correct or teach or lecture or fix, like, you know, then the more likely those, those years are going to be smoother for you because you've already had that, that connection. Mm. Maybe not. I'm hoping <laughs> I'm trying to stop my kids. Oh, you, you got this, helpful, but you know, like it's, it's knowing what works for you, knowing your coping skills, knowing who your people are. Um, and the, and it will get better. Like it will get better times out of 10. What, uh, what is one of the, cause we've spoken about how shit they can be, but what, what is one of, what is like one of the joy, like you don't, you don't haven't chosen this age group by accident. What is, what is the joy that you see in this age group that, that keeps you going? Cause I'm sure not every day is smooth sailing <laughs> and stress-free for you. If you've got all of them trying to help all of them. <laughs> just think you know like in collectively in a group like Halloween for example like seeing all the costumes that kids come up with for Halloween is hysterical like we had kids get on stage and do a full-on like song and dance like just randomly and you know just they're having their personalities kind of start to shine through and and seeing them become more confident in who they are whatever their skills are um as well and just seeing like for me personally like part of the reason I'm a counselor like the validation I get of when they trust me when they when they open up and they share and like hey they I need help with this like what do I do um and like I said you know when they come to some realizations about themselves or they are showing some of their growth um can be really fun I just and they're just funny they're just ridiculous and just so much fun (laughs) Good, I love that. Um, something I always ask everyone, and I'm curious because you work in this space, so you're probably very well aware of your brain. But what does what does the what does your brain look like if it was a scene? Oh, oh, I don't know. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I feel like it always is going a mile a minute. So I guess like, I, I mean, I picture myself literally like sitting in my office at work and just like having all these hands and arms, just like, funnily enough, we have a very similar brain. Mine is that too. And there's like these overflowing filing cabinets and you've asked me to find something and I'm like, I'll get it. <laughs> yeah. It just is this con- like, it's just constantly going like yeah. it's opening this door slash what am I making for dinner? And oh, I need to do a risk assessment with that kid. Okay. So now let's have that conversation. Like, it's- oh, and then. What are we doing let me, today? <laughs> let me ask this then, because, you know, not everyone is a counselor, but I'm sure everyone has a, a shared experience with you that that some days are probably really tough and stressful. How do you how do you come home and do you bring that home with you? Have you learned because I'm sure at some level you have to have a disconnect. How have you established that and what does that look like for you? Yeah, I, I have gotten to a point where I can disconnect unless it's something really, really big. And I've had a few of those. Um, I think the mentality of that, I have done my very best and I have given as much resources, like, and I, I think of this primarily with safety, like a student safety, if there's stuff going on, um, like I've given all my resources, I've connected with family, like I've done everything that I possibly can 
Um, and as much as I might worry about the safety of that student, like I know that I can't do anything more. And so then that helps me disconnect a little bit. Um, and you know, like exercise and just being with my family, um, just trying to kind of have that delineation of like, I'm, I'm kind of done, um, has helped. And I, I've gotten to a good point with that. I think that I, that I haven't carried too much home, but it certainly, it does happen for sure. Yeah. I feel like it's not quite a nine to five job if it's people's emotions. And I feel like we're quite similar. We're quite spongy and we kind of take on everyone's <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So you kind of just really have to actively go, okay, I'm home now. And as long as you feel like you've done all you can, it's a much easier switch. It sounds like. Yeah. I don't check my email. <laughs> like I try to, you know, keep it. And I know that I'll be reached out to if there is something that's needed. And so then I can let that go. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, that's really it for me. I feel like there is so much in there. I love you so much. And thank you. Um, if anyone who is listening has anything specific you want me to run by Laura, if you're like, I need this, then I'm sure she'll be more than willing to help. Um, but thank you so much for your time. I love you. I love you. Thank you. So fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pretty Depressed. A massive shout out to our executive producer, Kevin Connolly, and the amazing production team at Action Park Media. Now, I love validation, so please subscribe to this podcast. Give me five stars. Write some nice comments is what I live for. I need it to get through my day. Uh, you can also check us out at prettydepressed underscore on Instagram or send any feedback to prettydepressedpodcast at gmail.com. Cheers.